cue sappy music. Hey there, Fighting for the Faith podcast listener. Just want to remind you at the top of the program here that Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. You know, no, the music isn't working. Kill the music. Yeah, sorry. I see other guys use sappy music. I, uh, bad idea. Remind me to talk to you after the program. Anyway, just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions to keep bringing this program to you. If you don't support us financially already, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons. Fill it all out. You know what to do. Or if you would like to do the traditional thing, you can make your check payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, now you can play your music. Yeah. Enjoy listening to the program. I enjoyed making it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here we go. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Friday, April 15th, 2011. Tax Day here in the United States. My favorite day of the year. Oh, yeah, and they've released a, a movie version of Atlas Shrugged. I'm not going to talk about that today. I got mixed thoughts regarding Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and to help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. Much of it is blasphemous, and uh, we compare what is being said by prominent preachers, uh, Christian authors, speakers, conference speakers, and uh, and the like, and compare what they're saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Apparently, uh, <clears throat> uh, people seem to think they can think whatever they want about God's Word. It's all about what it means to them, and you know, it's not that at all. It's about what does it mean? What did the Holy Spirit intend to convey? If uh, your ideas regarding what the Scripture teaches are in direct contradiction to what it is that the Spirit intended to convey, and the way you find that out, it's not that hard. You know, read things in context. Uh, histor- history and grammar, those are the big things. You know, nouns, verbs, pronouns, stuff like that. As uh, my mentor, Dr. Rod Rosenblatt, says, there's a book out there called How to Read a Book. If you read the book, How to Read a Book, it will it'll get you far, very far along in the basic concepts of biblical her- hermeneutics. Of course, if you would like something a little bit more beefier than that, uh, Milton Terry, his uh, 19th century book, Biblical Hermeneutics, a treatise on the interpretation of the Old and New Testaments, uh, is a fantastic work on uh, teaching you solid biblical hermeneutical techniques. That's uh, that's worth reading if you want to do any kind of biblical teaching in the uh, church. So, uh, you know, just passing things along here. I, what, isn't there one, Ram is his name, Protestant, I forget what the name of that I'm doing bibliography off the top of my head, probably not a smart idea. Anyway, uh, let's talk about what we're going to talk about on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. But before I do that, yesterday I was um, I took a quick day trip up to Chicago, 
and uh, spent the afternoon with Phil Johnson of the Pyromaniacs blog. He was uh, an invited guest for the uh, the Gospel Coalition's conference there at the McCormick Center in uh, in Chicago, and and uh, and so we met for lunch, uh, did a little uh, tootling around Chicago ever so briefly, and uh, spent spent talk about a nerd outing. Uh, we I think we spent about an hour hour and a half in the uh, Moody Bible Institute library. <laughs> if you've have you all seen uh, th- there's a recent edition of Lane Chaplin's uh, video blog that he does uh, and uh, he did he recently recorded a, a an episode of his uh, program in the uh, in uh, Phil Johnson's uh, library slash study. This guy I. I He's addicted to books. That's all I can say. He is addicted to books, and uh, but you know, so am I. That my problem is I don't have any room anymore for like physical books. I prefer, um, I prefer like Kindle edition and things like that, uh, so that uh, I I don't have to take up any more uh, bookshelf space. I'm looking at one of my bookshelves, and it's literally leaning to the left, and I've got the books stacked on the shelf, you know, too deep. And I don't think it was made for that. And it's kind of got the it's bowing in the mid- middle there. You know. Then again, space is at a premium. <laughs> and of course, of course, goes. Oh, do you really need all those books? You know, the funny thing is, is I've tried getting rid of some of them, and uh, the ones I get rid of, I, I you know, I find myself eventually needing them. So I'm paranoid about getting rid of any of my books. And uh, if you're familiar with them, the uh, the Harry Potter stories, apparently, you know, in the Harry Potter story. Stories in in the uh, library at Hogwarts. They have particular books that are locked up. You know, defense against the dark arts kind of books. Things that you know that are evil. And you know, I've got an entire section of my library that's uh, dedicated to heretical authors. And so, you know, that over there you'll find you know Paget and McLaren and and you know and cultists and Rob Bell and you know people like that. So anyway, that's a long story. So. Yeah, we we had a nerd outing at the uh, Moody Bible Institute after he took me to uh, an Italian restaurant where I, I never have had this before, t- something called Italian beef. And, uh, oh, boy, was that good. Holy guacamole, was that great. And uh, and, and then, you know, we on the sandwich, I mean, it was like just <laughs> dripping wet beef that was just juicy and wonderful, you know, and kind of like a... A large hot dog bun kind of thing, and uh, and something called sport peppers. I had never had a sport pepper before. It's kind of halfway between a uh, pepperoncini and um, and a um, uh, jalapeno. Fantastic, good stuff. I I must confess, I overate, and uh, but I I won't repent because it was just too good. So I enjoyed uh, meeting uh, Phil Johnson and his wife. Just a fantastic guy. And uh, hope to have him on uh, Fighting for the Faith uh, shortly. Actually, uh, I, you know, one of the things we talked about yesterday, uh, yesterday was uh, me interviewing him regarding Piper holding the uh, Desiring God Regional Conference at uh, Saddleback Church, and uh, he he had expressed a desire to actually go and you know and see what it is that uh, Piper does there, and uh, you know he had some very unique insights. He he knows Piper a lot better than I do. And, uh, in fact, I, I barely know Piper at all, but, uh, I mean, you know, I, there's probably turnips out there that know Piper better than I do. And, <laughs> but the, uh, the point is, is that, um, 
is that he, in our conversation, I think he has a, a, a far better informed position regarding Piper than I do. And uh, so we're going to wait until uh, till the event occurs, find out what Piper said, and then uh, hopefully we'll have uh, Phil Johnson on uh, Fighting for the Faith to to comment accordingly. So, And then next Tuesday, next Tuesday, I've got one of the, bio, uh, not biologists, but uh, one of the guys from Answers in Genesis is going to be on the program, and we're going to be talking evolution. So I'm excited about that. But um, on to today, what we're going to talk about. Um, oh, boy. Uh, Pat Robertson. You know, God talks to him, apparently. And um, uh, Pat, Robert, Pat Robertson is basically making the claim that the Bible predicts that uh, there's going to be an asteroid that's going to come and destroy most of the Earth. And so uh, you might want to get, you know, an umbrella or something for that. We'll take a look at that. I've got Perry Noble um, from the Elephant in the Room conference. Uh, he, what's really funny, <laughs> what is really funny here is... Um, the two of the segments from the Elephant at the Room conference uh, were prompted by uh, exhibits that I put in the Museum of Idolatry. Uh, Stephen Furtick uh, chastising the uh, people in his congregation for wanting to go deeper. I put that video up. That was originally, uh, you know, made famous uh, as a result of um, me taking that video, watching the sermon, finding the relevant pieces in the sermon, and then posting them on the. Uh, on the on the web uh, on my web blog at a little eleven dot com. Same with Perry Noble. Um, Perry Noble, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, made fame. You know, one of the things I <laughs> helped make him famous for was uh, his Easter uh, Easter service, where that began with he started off an Easter service with ACDC's Highway to Hell. Well, uh, Pastor McDonald there at uh, Harvest uh, in Aurora, Aurora, Illinois, uh, confronted Perry Noble regarding uh, his use of Highway to Hell in in church. And let's just say that um, Perry Noble's answers were classic Perry Noble and a complete mangling of God's Word. And so uh, we're going to listen to that, and I'm going to chime in with a a biblical counterpoints to... uh, to Perry Noble's so-called biblical defense for his indefensible behavior, and that is playing Highway to Hell in uh, during the Easter service. And uh, by the way, he he it, in this in this uh, video, he divulged that he's going to start this year's Easter service off at uh, New Spring uh, with uh, Van Halen's uh, "Running with the Devil." I I kid you not. That's exactly what he said during his thing. So we got a Perry Noble update. And then uh, after the first break, we're going to spend a lot of time listening to uh, portions of the 2020 interview, uh, not interview, but expose on the uh, independent fundamentalist Baptists. And uh, I'm going to take some time to kind of tease things apart here. And the reason why is because uh, the gal who was doing the reporting, let's just say she, she painted with a broad brush. And as a result of it, uh, let's just say the innocent will get swept away with the guilty if you don't take the time to tease this thing apart. And uh, it's my contention that this um, that the, the major problem with the IFB movement as a whole is that they are a legalistic type cult with a complete, complete abominable uh, misunderstanding of uh, the purpose of the law and a very little understanding of the of the gospel itself. And so we're going to spend some time listening to that and see if I can tease this thing apart. So 
Uh, lots of ground to cover today. Got some crazy things that we're going to have to uh, to listen to. So I, I think it's important that we play our warning. our warning. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome. Sinew nasal liquid spewment disorder. Steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain. Continual gaping dry mouth atosis. And frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended. All right, there you go. So uh, we're going to dive into the program proper. Uh, I strongly recommend uh, if you have access to fuzzy bunny slippers, you might want to put them on. Hopefully the weather in your neck of the woods is cool enough that it's not going to detract. It'll help with your overall listening experience. And, of course, if you want to enjoy an adult beverage, no problem with that. Keep in mind, drunkenness is a sin. And uh, also, uh, if you're trying to get things done, if you're actually trying to do productivity-type work, uh, especially if you're out, you know, uh, you know, working the horse stalls or things like that on your farm. Uh, keep in mind, uh, fighting for the faith has been proven to actually decrease overall productivity. So you got to be careful while uh, listening to fighting for the faith. Make sure you're not up against some kind of a deadline or anything like that. And then, and then I don't want to get blamed if, if for whatever reason you're not able to accomplish everything that you had hoped to accomplish while listening to fighting for the faith while trying to do work at the same time. So. Uh, with that, let's uh, let's here we go. Um, if you read the Bible, it seems like to me the only thing that will fulfill the words of Jesus and the, and the words of Revelation uh, would be a, a an asteroid hitting the United the, the the Earth, and it's going to happen. All right, that's uh, that's the voice of Pat Robertson, uh, Seven Hundred Club. Apparently, um, you might want to go out and get an umbrella. Apparently, um, a large asteroid is uh, heading towards Earth. And uh, the Bible says, I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, and he, he, he had what looked like a burning mountain, and he hurled it into the sea. What better description of an asteroid? A burning the, mountain. The implications of that are almost My hard book, to describe. In the age, it had one that was one kilometer uh, in uh, diameter, I guess it was, um, but it, it weighed three billion pounds. And the I, I did the science on it and had to research, and the effect is enormous. Yeah. And once it hits the Earth's crust, all kinds of bad things happen because volcanoes begin to explode and tsunamis take mm-hmm. place, and uh, devastation follows in their wake. So for everybody, it's yeah. but uh, this is you read the Bible, read it carefully, and that's what it says is going to happen. And uh, Jesus, you got any word on when it's going to happen? Um... You know, you might want to buy a couple of umbrellas. I use those uh, large golf umbrellas. Um, yeah, the, I find those are very helpful. Said, Except those days were shortened. There'll be no flesh remaining. There won't be anybody alive on the earth. Uh, so this is one of those. They've got something they call the extinctor, which is enough to wipe out everybody. And- so uh, apparently there is an extinctor um, asteroid heading towards Earth. You know, it's it wouldn't take much. One of them hit, apparently wiped out the dinosaurs. Well, you know, I think one of the things that we've seen in the last few years with all of the natural disasters mm. that have happened is just how fragile we are on Earth. You know, well, it doesn't take much to upset a I lot. Notice we're doing news now, but you need to put your hand in the hand of the man who stilled the water. It's time we put our hands in, in his hand because... Do you have any proof that this asteroid's on the way, except for, you know, your interpretation of a particular passage from the book of Revelation? 
I mean, I'm not saying that it's not coming or that it is coming. It's just, I mean, here you're using this as an evangelistic technique, you know, telling people they need to put their hand in the man, hand of the man who stilled the water. I'm, I'm assuming that's Jesus. And, um, you know, because you on your 700 Club decided that it's time to declare that an asteroid is going to smash into Earth. Um, yeah. It, it, how long do we have? In terms of disaster, he's the only one that can really take us through. Nobody else, nothing, no power on earth can do. Yeah. Um, okay. So, yeah, you might want to get an umbrella. We Apparently there's an extinctor asteroid heading towards Earth. Good night. <sighs> no, I'm not saying that it's not coming. I don't know. I, I mean, is there any astro- astrological, astronomical... Proof, I mean, that this, it's heading this way, you know, I, uh, how long do we got? You know, I, I mean, should I plant, you know, should I plant my yard this year? Should I weed it or should I just say, oh, forget it, you know, because there's an extinctor heading towards us. <sighs> I just don't consider this to be uh, stuff that is profitable when it comes to the evangelism portion of it. Because, I mean, he, he, I mean, what happens if, you know, five, ten years goes by and, there's no extinctor asteroid, you know, getting ready to smash into the earth. And people are going, yeah, you told me I needed to become a Christian because, uh, you know, there was an extinctor asteroid uh, heading towards us. And, you know, and, and Pat Robertson claims that God talks to him. So um, where is that asteroid and what's the deal with, um, yeah, it could just as far as I'm concerned, this is the kind of stuff that just discredits Christianity. But uh, maybe it's just me. I, I don't know. All right, uh, moving along, uh, we're going to be, um, you know, this is, it's a Perry Noble update, so we got to do this. Oh, it really doesn't matter what I do, what I do, as long as I do it with a flair. What effect a little smoke is with a dash of hocus-pocus and the scent of burning sulfur in the air. I'm a fraud, a hoax, a charlatan, a joke, but they love me everywhere. For it really doesn't matter what I do, what I do, as long as I do it with a flap. And it really doesn't matter what I say, what I say, as long as I say it with a flap. First I rattle off a ready stock of gibberish and poppycock and fix you with my best hypnotic stare. With my moans and groans and soporific tones, they have cheered me everywhere. For it really doesn't matter what I say, what I say. I sell it when I tell it with a scene. All right, yeah. <clears throat> over and over again, it, it's, it, well, it never ceases to amaze me. Um, just how accurate my... Uh, the Perry Noble update music is, you know, the the lyric is, it really doesn't matter what I say, what I say, as long as I say it with a flair. Well, <laughs> once again, this is proven to be like prophetic, great, perfect update music for describing Perry Noble whenever we talk about him. Because, get ready, he's going to say three things regarding the Bible with all kinds of flair but when you take the time to actually com- compare what he's saying to actually what God's Word says, uh, you find out that um, he's just rattling off a ready stock of gibberish and poppycock. <clears throat> Here, here's James McDonald and um, Perry Nobles. You'll see what I'm talking about. I want to go to this highway to hell thing, all right? 
Because I'm, I'm like so out on the fact that you did that, like out on that. I can't believe you did that. So, awesome. Yeah, he, he, he started off his Easter service with Highway to Hell. Put me in that category. So I'm fired up about you, uh-huh. and I'm fired up about the passion that you have for the Lord and for the gospel and for God's word. Uh-huh. But so I'll just be the guy. I just, I just don't get it at all. And here's, here's what I don't get. Well, let, let me ask you this. Yeah. I mean, okay. So when God tells Isaiah to strip naked in Isaiah 20, you would have probably gone, "Hey, Isaiah, I don't, I don't get this." Okay, so. <clears throat> So right off the bat, he's right in his face. I, you know, I don't get it. Playing Highway to Hell, opening Easter service, you know, in a church. And so immediately we engage in a complete red herring argument. And the reason I say that, uh, so he, he, the, the argument is, well, what would you say you know, to uh, you know, God telling Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 20 to strip naked? You have your Bible. I flip on over there. Isaiah chapter 20. It's not very long, actually. It's a, you know, it's a very, very short chapter in the book of Isaiah. And here's what it says. In the year that the commander-in-chief, who was sent by Sargon, the king of Assyria, came to Ashdod and, found, uh, and fought against it and captured it, at that time the Lord spoke by Isaiah the son of Amos, saying, Go and loose the sackcloth from your waist, take off your sandals from your feet, And he did, and so walking naked and barefoot. Then the Lord said, As my servant Isaiah has walked naked and barefoot for three years as a sign and a portent against Egypt and Cush, so shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptian captives and the Cushite exiles, both the young and the old, naked and the barefoot, with buttocks uncovered, uh, the nakedness of Egypt, then they shall be dismayed and ashamed because of Cush their hope and of Egypt their boast. And the inhabitants of this coastland will say in that day, Behold, this is what happened to those in whom we hoped and to whom we fled for help to be delivered from the king of Assyria. And we, how shall we escape? So <clears throat> now, absolutely positively 100% true that Isaiah, the son of Amos, the prophet who was responsible for the book of Isaiah that we have in our Bible, was told to strip naked and to do so for three years. I'm sure the winters were brutal for uh, poor Isaiah, the son of Amos. But here's the deal. This was done as a sign against particular people whom God was judging. This was not at all for evangelistic purposes. This wasn't done as a spectacle, as a means of drawing a crowd so that he can grow so that Isaiah, the son of Amos, can grow his church. That wasn't what was going on at all. So this little um uh, this this quoting Isaiah chapter twenty is a non sequitur. It doesn't logically follow. It doesn't compute. It's a red herring argument. It doesn't have anything to do with what is appropriate to have happen inside of a church. And on top of it, um, Isaiah, the son of Amos. I mean, let's just face it. I I seriously doubt that um, Perry Noble was called to speak the word of the Lord or to receive direct visions from God the way Isaiah did. If you have your Bible, flip on over to Isaiah chapter 6, and here's what it says regarding Isaiah's calling. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and 
one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me. Yeah, normally when prophets call out woes, they call out woes against evil and wicked people. Now, here Isaiah has called out a woe against himself. Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King and the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth. And said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Now, I don't recall anywhere um, Perry Noble writing on his blog that he has ascended into heaven and that he, he has seen the throne of God or that he has seen the seraphim who who have six wings, who fly and call to each other in the presence of God Almighty and cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. I don't, I don't recall Perry Noble ever on his blog claiming that he had received that kind of a, hmm, yeah. So, yeah, well, it, just remember, with Perry Noble, it doesn't really matter what he says, what he says, as long as he says it with a flair. Well, let's continue with uh, Perry Noble's defense of leading off an Easter service with Highway to Hell. Well, I think first of all, anytime you try to make something happen in Scripture normative, okay? So no, I'm just like, saying it happens. It's in the Bible. We should have at least no, once I'm, a no, year. No. We should have someone strip naked. No, no, but it's <laughs> no. But there's there's instances. Second emotion. Yeah. <laughs> Second emotion. There's <laughs> there's instances. What do you do in Acts chapter 17 when Paul quotes two secular quote rock songs yeah. when he's reaching the Athenians? Okay, so now, okay, we've, we've jumped from Isaiah chapter 20 to Acts chapter 17, where the Apostle Paul quotes two secular Greek rock stars, so to speak. Again, this is another non-secular argument. This is, this is absolutely a mangling of God's Word. If you have your Bible, flip on over to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17 cannot be used in support of leading off your church's Easter services with ACDC's Highway to Hell. We're going to look at Acts chapter 17 starting at verse 16. Pay attention to the details of the story. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, Paul had, you know, he traveled ahead to Athens. By himself, he's there. It says, His spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, What does this babbler wish to say? Others said, Well, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears, and we wish to know, therefore, what these things mean." Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except for telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, 
Now, let me read that sentence to you again. This is part of the sentence. Acts chapter 17, verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said... Context, context, context. That's not what he said, but this is the important thing. Paul wasn't conducting a church service. This wasn't something that Paul said when he was in church. We are witnessing Paul going out to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. He's not in a church setting. This has nothing to do with ecclesiastical practices and or methods. This has to do with evangelism. Okay? He's being a missionary. He's preaching the gospel to the unsaved, and he's doing it on their turf, not in church. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious, for I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, so that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for, quote, In him we live and move and have our being, and, as even some of your own poets have said, For we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And all of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when, uh, now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Others said, well, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. By the way, church history tells us there wasn't much of a church present in Athens for a long time, even after this. Okay? Um, so it's, it's not like, you know, revival broke out when uh, Paul did this, but Paul quotes two different poets in verse 28, and he, you know, basically, we're talking about a single solitary line. Now, here's the deal. This is not an apples and apples comparison. Perry Noble basically said the Apostle Paul quoted Greek rock stars or the equivalent thereof. I think that's overstating the point. And on top of it, Paul wove this into an entire apologetic argument designed to proclaim the gospel by recognizing where the common ground is, where the, what things they had gotten right, as well as what things they had gotten wrong. And so... Yeah, basically Paul quoting a couple of verses from a couple of Greek poets is not even remotely synonymous with performing a song that praises and glorifies 
going to hell and the devil and the lifestyle associated with rebelling and sinning. This, the, I mean, comparing what Perry Noble did to what the, the Apostle Paul did on, you know, in Acts and Athens at the Areopagus is blasphemy. It's blasphemous, and it's absolutely prideful and arrogant of him to even try this defense. But let me read to you from the Lutheran Study Bible, The Note, on Acts chapter 17, verse 28. Here's what it says. Uh, Paul quotes, In him we live. Paul here refers to pagan poets who, through their natural knowledge of God that that they found in nature, see Romans chapter 1, verses 20 through 21, had correctly assessed and asserted this truth about the Creator God. Epimenides concluded that one God is the creator and sustainer of all life. The formula of concord uh, in the Lutheran Confession, Solid Declaration 1 of 42, says this, In order that God's creation and work in mankind may be distinguished from, from the devil's work, we say that it is God's creation that a person has body and soul. Also, it is God's work that a person can think, speak, do, and work anything. Uh, Martin Chemnitz says, God watches over and sustains the order which he has established in nature. Then quoting um, another Greek poet, for we are indeed his offspring, both Aratus and uh, Clintheus made this statement circa 300 B.C. It agrees also with Paul's assertion in verse 26 uh, being the offspring of God, the genus, similar in meaning to uh, English generation. Luther said, natural life is a part of eternal life and its beginning, but it ends through death because it does not acknowledge nor honor him from whom it comes. Sin cuts it off so that it must die eternally. On the other hand, those who believe in him and acknowledge him from whom they have their being never die. Their natural life will be stretched out into eternal life so that they never taste death. So the idea here is is that Paul found in these Greek poets some truth regarding God that they had correctly ascertained from nature, from what God has revealed about himself in nature. Paul lifted their quotes and said, you're right, these things are true, now let me give you some more of it. In the same, the same method that he used Uh, when he basically said, I saw an inscription to an unknown God, which you don't know, let me reveal to you. Same thing he's doing here. Now, I reviewed Perry Noble's sermon that he gave on Easter where he played Highway to Hell. Okay, I didn't just react to what he did. I actually played the whole sermon in context so that you can hear it. Now, granted, he preached the gospel, albeit it was somewhat watered down and a little bit obscure and... um, suffered from some Pelagianism. It was there, though, in his sermon. But the thing is, is that the ends do not justify the means. And what what Perry Noble is doing here to justify playing a song that glorifies the highway to hell in church, he's, well, we got two strikes at this point. Isaiah chapter 20 cannot be used to support it, nor can Acts chapter 17 be used to uh, support it. Neither one of those examples have anything to do with what's supposed to be happening in church. We continue. In Matthew chapter 2, when God uses astrology to reach the wise men. Okay, now, by the way, Matthew chapter 2 does not say that God used astrology to reach the wise men. Okay? 
it simply says that they saw the star of the newborn king, Jesus, and it led them to Jesus. Okay? How would how would they know? How would how would these wise men who are outside of Israel know that there would be a king that's supposed to be born? The answer from Daniel. Okay, remember that remember how the um, ancient Israelites were punished? They were kicked out of the land and led into captivity in Babylon. Yeah, at that time, guys like Daniel, Daniel who was, you know, who basically governed, ruled with, um, spent a lot of time in the circles with those types of guys, those people at that time heard about the promised Messiah and the, and had some knowledge of the Old Testament as a result of their exposure to the exiles from uh, from Israel. But here... Perry Noble just is inserting into Matthew chapter 2. It's basically claiming they learned this through astrology. But the text doesn't say that. As if somehow God can use, you know, as if God will use pagan mysticism or pagan astrology as a means of, uh, of you know, bringing people to faith. That's not what the text says. And so the, the answer to the question here is, is where was God's pre- word preached, and where did they come in contact with God's word that they would know that there would be a promised coming king to Israel? Answer, in the Old Testament. The Old Testament teaches that. Clearly, where would these guys have had exposure to Jews who 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 uh, had these promises of God? Answer, Babylonian exile. So, yeah, we've got a problem here. We've got a, a real problem. Uh, that's three strikes, three swings, three misses, by my count, Perry Noble should be called out at this point. How can we say that those methods were not effective? It's not one, one prophet stripping down naked. It's all through the scriptures where God meets people where they are and brings them to where he is. Right. That's why right. we do what we do. Yeah, I think that God meeting somebody where they are isn't quite the same as taking something that is blatantly offensive to the gospel and the cross and bringing it into the center of the church. Right. Good point, James McDonald. Believing that that's advancing the cause. Like at some point, we've got to give a little credit to God's spirit and to God's word and not be quite so dependent on our ability to sort of bridge this but little... What, this if little... God's, what if God's spirit and God's word led us to actually do the illustration in the first place? Did you hear that? <clears throat> what if? Why don't you just come right out and say it, Perry? Why are you asking it in a deconstructing question? My question is, why on earth should we believe that God, let, God the Holy Spirit, led you to go and snatch ACDC's Highway to Hell and play it in church? Doesn't really matter what he says, what he says, as long as he says it with a flair. Yeah, nowhere in Scripture are you going to find ever examples of Christians using satanic hymns and songs and bringing them into church as a means of attracting people to church so that they can hear the gospel. The ends do not justify the means, and there's no way in Hades that God the Holy Spirit would lead you to do something so blasphemous. All right, we are up on our uh, first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address... 
talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Schmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Chicago, 6 p.m. Inside Lucy Perkins' bedroom. I want to tell you my secret now. Okay. I see emergent people. In your dreams? No. When you're awake? Yeah. Emergent people like in coffee shops and cohorts? Walking around like regular people. They don't see the truth. They only see what they want to believe. How often do you see them? All the time. They're everywhere. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheapo Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheapo Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Warning, just because you can rattle off a Bible verse to justify your bad behavior doesn't mean that Bible verse justifies your bad behavior. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we do depend upon your, you and your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring this important radio outreach to you and to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, Fighting for the Faith. 
dot com. When you get there, you will see two. That's right. Two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. And when you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 on a monthly basis to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, moving along here. I do not have intro music for this segment. If those of this is a week old now. Uh, last Friday, uh, 2020, on ABC, uh, played an expose regarding some of the outrageous abuses that are taking place in the independent fundamentalist Baptist movement. Now, I over the years, I have actually spoken with many survivors, and that's how they describe themselves of independent fundamentalist Baptists churches and it, i have yet to find somebody who's had a great experience in the ifb uh the stories of mind control absolute legalistic pietism mangling of god's word spiritual abuse sexual abuse oh man the the laundry list goes on this is a truly truly tragic thing and uh, back uh during thanksgiving i actually spoke with a gal who uh, in junior high, she was raped and had to apologize to her rapist's wife for being raped by a man. And so the stories that you're going to hear in this 2020 expose are, I, I think, this kind of tip of the iceberg. The problem here is is that the, I, the, the gal who's doing this expose there's more to it, more that she's grinding on than just the abuses in the IFB. As a result of it, we got to kind of tease some things out. But I'm going to play for you the uh, audio from uh, the first, you know, maybe seven to ten minutes of this uh, segment that appeared on uh, ABC's 2020 last week, and comment accordingly. Here we go. Tonight, the story of a woman scarred in childhood, now taking on a powerful pastor and the church she says let her down when she needed them most. And she's not alone. Over the course of our investigation, we met several other former church members from around the country who have banded together to call themselves survivors. So what do they say they survived? The very place you'd think they should have felt safest, their church. At this church on a cold Sunday evening 13 years ago, a frightened young girl says she was forced to stand before the congregation. She was up there all by herself in front of hundreds of people. I was sobbing. Like a scene from the Salem witch trial, she says she was forced to confess a sin. There was just dread and fear. A sin so terrible, she says she was banished, sent away from her church and her home in disgrace. I believed that it was my, my fault. That girl was Tina Anderson. For years, she was silent about what happened that night. I never thought the truth would come out. People are petrified to come forward and talk about this. Cover up after cover up after cover up. Okay, I'm going to pause there for a second. All of this cover up stuff has its genesis in a complete misunderstanding of the proper distinction of the law and the gospel. And you're going to hear that, how it plays out in the, in the lives of these people and in the people in these churches and pastors. Here's the deal. The law is there to convict us of our sin. The gospel is there to tell us of the mercy and forgiveness of Christ won for us on the cross. 
You preach the law to bring sinners to repentance, and you preach the gospel to offer them the forgiveness of their sins. Over and again, everything is here backwards. And, you know, we're talking, oh, this is just horrible. This is like bad church discipline. This is bad theology, and it's just destroying people's lives. It's a religious subculture many Americans have never heard of. They are called the Independent Fundamental Baptist Churches. There are thousands of IFB churches across the country with hundreds of thousands of members. We talk to victims who describe physical and sexual abuse that went unpunished in their congregations for years. Nearly every town has at least one Independent Fundamental Baptist Church. IFB churches are ultra-conservative, interpreting the Bible literally. Okay, now this is where we got a problem. There's certain parts parts of the Bible that are specifically to be taken literally. So when you know, the, the when you hear somebody going like this, yeah, we've got a problem. There's some problem in the reporting here too. Governed by what they call a doctrine of separation, considering themselves spiritually superior. Catholics, Jews, and Muslims, I assure you, are well beyond the pale. We're all going to hell. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, if biblical Christianity teaches that there is no other way to heaven except for through Christ, repentance and the forgiveness of sins won by him. So, yeah, it, 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 uh, distracting. There were a lot of rules, um, a lot of them about dress, very conservative, very long, very high-necked dresses. Your knees need to be covered at all times. How strict are we talking about here? We weren't allowed to hold hands with a boy. You couldn't go to the movies. We were not allowed to have any rock beat in our music. Men are in charge. It was ingrained in our head. We don't question. Women are in a subordinate role. No time for cooking, no time for cleaning, no time for loving, no time for the husband. Male power that has allegedly led to serious abuses. God at the top. Uh, no, it's not the male power that has led to serious abuses. No, it's the misuse of that power and the false doctrine and the false understanding of law and gospel mixed with that that has led to all kinds of de- abuses. Then the husband, then the... By the way, this is Professor Randall Balmer. He's supposedly some expert on these guys. He's not a member of the IFB. Wife, and then the children in that chain of command. And it tends to be very unforgiving, very hierarchical, and also, in, in, in many cases, tragically abusive. But this IFB pastor condemns the abuse and insists that IFB churches are not all the same. We care about people. I got to touch people's lives. We want to show the greatest love. What really happened to Tina Anderson? Growing up in Concord, New Hampshire, Tina's IFB church was the only world she knew. We were there at the church at least six days a week, sometimes seven. All of my friends were there. So your school was at the church? Correct. Your entire life was the church? Correct. The children were expected to obey without question and wives to submit to their husbands and do what they wanted. And really, you were expected to listen to the pastor and do what he said. The pastor's word was God's word, in essence. Yes, you weren't supposed to question the pastor. It's his way or the highway. So you grew So we got a problem there. You're not to question the pastor? Yikes. Up thinking that everybody else in every other religion, everybody was doing it wrong. Correct. 
Critics say that the IFB's strict interpretation of the Bible often includes the practice known as breaking the will of the child, including physical force. If you're not bruising your child, you're not spanking the child enough. They taught that if you don't spank your children, they won't turn out right. Every child's will needs to be broken? Correct. Through physically spanking them? Yes. With what? Different families used different things. Daniel used a belt or a wooden cutting board on us. Daniel is Daniel Leaf, Tina's stepfather and a longtime member of the IFB church. For years, he beat Tina and her brother. Daniel would physically abuse us. He beat us severely. So severely that in 1989, he went to prison for nearly a year. But the abuse didn't stop there. He um, has also sexually abused me. Between the ages of 9 and 11, Tina says her stepfather sexually molested her and threatened to kill her if she told anyone. Tina says only after Leaf was sent to prison a second time for sexually molesting another minor did she have the courage to confide in her pastor. Okay, I'm going to point something out here. When your church or pastor whomever preaches the law in all of its rigor but doesn't preach the gospel for Christians... Um, this is a formula for literally awakening the sinful flesh in such a way. I mean, seriously, when you preach law, 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 yeah, your sinful flesh hears that and goes, hey, that's a good idea. I should try that out. And there's no forgiveness. So the only the only thing you can do is cover this up. <sighs> Chuck Phelps. I was told by... Pastor Phelps, that a good Christian forgives and forgets and moves on with their life and doesn't press charges. Your pastor told you you should forgive and forget? Yes. Okay, I want to point something out here. Forgiveness is a powerful tool because it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And so there is a sense in which Christians forgive. But notice how the gospel's being used here. She's being browbeaten. You need to forgive and you need to forget. Let's see if that same thing then applies to her. Are they going to forgive and forget when they accuse her of committing an infraction? Notice how the gospel is being manipulated in such a way to cover up somebody's sins rather than to truly have them be forgiven. He made me go to the prison to grant Daniel forgiveness. He made you go to the prison and say what? I forgive you for what you've done. In a statement, Pastor Phelps denies Tina told him that her stepfather molested her, but Tina says she remembers vividly going to the prison to carry out her pastor's instructions. What was that like? It was torture, but I thought I was doing what God wanted me to do. At age 14, Tina began... So keep in mind, he is in prison for physically beating his children in a criminal way. And it, it, he's not in prison because uh, he was found guilty of sexually molesting his daughter. And she's told by her pastor to go and forgive him for the molestation. I, th- there's, there's so many cockeyed things going on here. It's, you, you lose track. A complete misapplication of law and gospel again. My question is, was Daniel uh, confronted with his sin of molesting his daughter or stepdaughter? Was he brought to repentance 
for that heinous sin? And was the forgiveness offered to him because he was repentant and contrite and sorry for what he did? You know, it's, you know, ugh, this is this is ugh, complete miserable care for God's sheep. This isn't even properly caring for them at all. The laws being misapplied, the gospels being misapplied. And like I said, keep in mind, let's find out, you know, if the forgive and forget is uh, offered to her. And babysitting for an IFB church family, Ernie and Tammy Willis, often spending the night. And she says, confiding in them that her stepfather had molested her. Did you feel safe with them? Yes. But in 1997, when Tina was 15, she says that illusion of safety was shattered when Ernie Willis volunteered to give her driving lessons. And he pulled me in the back seat and, and raped me. Did you try and fight back? I, I have kind of blocked out a lot of those memories, and so I don't remember a, a lot of it. I do remember saying no. How did you deal with the aftermath of that? I think you just kind of, like, try to think it never happened. A good Christian doesn't press charges and doesn't, you know, do anything. Forgive, forget, move on. So now we have a guy who raped her. And because of the misuse of law and gospel in this church and not even knowing how to deal with the law and the gospel properly, she's led to believe that, well, I just got raped, but a good Christian forgives and forgets. And a rapist isn't confronted with his sin. I mean, is this Nathan the prophet's uh, mode of operation when it came to King David, who was an adulterer and a murderer? I'll just forgive and forget. But a month after the alleged rape, Tina says Ernie Willis came knocking on her door. She was alone. I opened it and I let him in. I, I, stupid choice. You were 15. Okay, so she's been raped once. A month later, because she believes a good Christian just forgives and forgets, she's raped again. You were a girl. I still struggle to not blame myself. Tina says she doesn't remember what happened next, only that for a second time, Ernie Willis raped her. I did say no, and then I, I just blanked out. You, you just get to the point where you don't, you can't take anymore. And again, Tina says she remembered Pastor Phelps' instructions to forgive and forget. She told no one, not her mother, not her pastor, not the police. In fact, I didn't even tell anybody until I found out I was four months pregnant. Were you scared? Yes. Then I felt like my life was over. When we come back, where would Tina turn? Who would she tell? He asked me if I wanted him to punch me in the stomach as hard as he could to try to cause a miscarriage. And was it forcible rape? Tina says other church members did not believe her story. She actually asked you if you enjoyed having sex with Mr. Willis. See what's next. It is 1997 in Concord, New Hampshire, 15-year-old Tina Anderson discovers she is pregnant. In your church, what happens to girls who get pregnant? Very shunned. A member of the Independent Fundamental Baptist Church, or IFB, Tina says she decides that instead of turning to her mother, her pastor, or the police, she will confide her secret to the man who allegedly raped her, Ernie Willis. And what was his reaction? He volunteered today for me to get an abortion, and I told him no. 
And then he asked me if I wanted him to punch me in the stomach as hard as he could to try to cause a miscarriage. Punch you in the stomach? I told him, no, leave me alone. Tina turned next to her mother, Christine Leaf, a deeply religious woman. She immediately called Chuck Phelps. The pastor? Correct. Tina says she told Pastor Phelps and his wife Linda that Willis had raped her and gotten her pregnant. I was very scared and I was sure I would be blamed. And I was. So she was raped and she was blamed for her rape. You have got to be kidding me. Pastor Phelps took me to a passage in Deuteronomy where it talks about if a girl doesn't cry out, that um, she obviously was a part of it. And he told me that I was lucky I didn't live in Old Testament times because I would have been stoned. Stoned to death. Correct. For being pregnant. Yes. For being raped. Yeah. Because I think Ernie claimed it was consensual. Did it matter to Pastor Phelps that a 15-year-old girl can't legally give her consent? No. During Going crazy. Okay, it gets worse. The meeting, Tina was also alarmed by a remark she alleges Pastor Phelps' wife Linda made. She actually asked you if you enjoyed having sex with Mr. Willis? Yes. I was in complete shock, and I think I was just blown away that that would even cross her mind. Linda Phelps denies saying... So, the, <clears throat> now, the misuse of the law and the gospel at this point has the innocent being blamed and the guilty uh, literally getting away with rape. Unbelievable. That, But according to Tina, Pastor Phelps tells her to write a statement asking church members to forgive her transgression. For allowing a compromising situation to occur because I had let him in my house. Which brings us back to that October Sunday in 1997. Hundreds of congregants fill the pews at Trinity Baptist Church. Children and teenagers are asked to leave the sanctuary. Now, listen carefully to how this discipline's going to go down. Then Pastor Phelps said we have a matter of church discipline to deal with. First, Ernie Willis stands up and admits to adultery and asks for forgiveness. Now, who's he asking for forgiveness from, the, the congregation at this point? This is that we've got a serious problem. Why isn't Pastor Phelps the one who absolved these two privately if they were truly contrite for their sins? But then again, the the girl in this situation, she's done nothing wrong. And so she's forced to ask for forgiveness from the congregation. It is a matter of church discipline because she allowed herself to be put into a compromising situation. She was raped. And her rapist is there confessing that he's committed adultery and asking for forgiveness from the congregation. But the issue is being dealt with as if they're two completely disconnected events. And then Pastor Phelps said, here's a completely different matter, and made me get up, and he read my letter, and then told everybody I was pregnant. What did it feel like standing there in front of that entire church, having that letter read? Completely humiliating. I was sobbing. I was devastated to see that poor girl standing up there with this little grimace on her face. 
Fran Earl, Sue Capucci, and Matt Barnhart were all in the church that night. They say they heard Pastor Phelps read Anderson's statement about her immorality. What was your reaction, all of the three of you who were sitting there that night as you watched all of this unfold? I was horrified. I, I, th- I started crying before it started, and I, I just couldn't stop. He never, ever gave the impression that this man had had sexual relations with this teenager standing over here. Never. It was presented as two totally separate issues. He cheated with a woman. This young girl, unfortunately, had, you know, had gotten in trouble with her boyfriend. Fran Earl was suspicious. The next day, she confronted the pastor's wife, who says she confirmed that Ernie Willis was the father of Tina's unborn baby and said the matter was being handled. Then Earl says she confronted Tina's mother. Why isn't this guy in jail? And she said, um, because I was told not to press charges, because it would affect his wife and his children, and they wanted to protect the family, keep the family intact. At any point, did anybody say they were going to call the police? I remember um, Pastor Phelps asking me if I was going to press charges, and I said no, because I thought that that's what I needed to do. I'm going to stop there. There's so much wrong with this here. And it's a complete confusion of law and gospel. About a month and a half, two months ago, I actually had a meal with uh, two gentlemen who have, uh, well, they attended uh, Bob Jones University and had been caught up in this IFB culture. And they've you know i shared with them some of the stories that over the years of people that i've talked with who've come out of this and it, we we talked about the confusion of law and gospel and i asked him straight up don't these people ever read the book of galatians which clearly clearly shows this group to be heretical engaged in the galatian heresy and one of the gentlemen looked me straight in the eye and said We've been told that the book of Galatians doesn't apply to the church today, and that justifies their false legalistic doctrines. They don't respect or consider the book of Galatians to have anything to do with what's going on in the church today. It doesn't apply to them. The law is there to convict us of our sin. When you preach the law and somebody is brought to contrition and sorrow for their sin, you are to give them the gospel. And especially a pastor is to be there to absolve them, to tell them that Christ forgives them, to give them the forgiveness of their sins. Here, the gospel was used to silence a girl so that a man wouldn't have criminal charges pressed against him, and yet he was a criminal. There's so much wrong with this. It's just absolutely a mess. I'd love to get your feedback on this because I, I, I've just scratched the surface of this, but this is a major confusion of law and gospel. It doesn't even follow the biblical mandates given in Matthew uh, chapter 18 regarding how to handle church discipline. I mean, this whole thing is backwards, upside down, and inside out. White is black, wh- black is white, cats and dogs sleeping together. The whole thing is a mess. It's just a mess. What do you think? you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash Christian. You can follow me on Twitter. My name there 
Fire Christian. Come back, sermon review. Got a Craig Rochelle sermon we're going to be reviewing entitled Weird. Yeah, you don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, turning photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. It is sermon review time here at Fighting for the Faith. We're going to be reviewing a sermon from the uh, seeker-driven rock star, Craig Rochelle. The last sermon review we did of his, he was uh, doing the Chazon thing. Boy, is that concept wreaked havoc in the church. I'm afraid his new book, Weird, is going to be doing the same. Let's cue up the music. The good, the bad, and the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via LifeChurch.tv. I think they're down there in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Craig Groeschel presiding. Now, Craig has a brand new book out entitled Weird. Now, before you uh, 
think, ah, oh, the reason why he's preaching on the book weird is so that he's get, he gets big sales of his book and becomes rich. No, that's not actually what's happening here. It's important to note that uh, the sermon you're going to hear, even though it's based upon the book that he's written, that uh, he has an agreement with the publisher that all of the proceeds of the book are going to be donated to charity. So he's not doing this for selfish reasons. So let's strike that from our minds immediately. What's important to note here is that this is Christless. This is crossless. This is self-righteousness. This is all law and no gospel. Yeah, I'm going to have to let him do the explaining, but uh, we'll chime in here with uh, some appropriate passages from the book of Romans, maybe Galatians. I don't know. It just depends on what I feel like getting to today. But the point is, is you ain't going to hear Christ and him crucified for your sins. And you're going to basically hear a motivational pep talk trying to convince you to live the law. That's really all this is. It's repackaged, rehashed law, not gospel. And this is not what Christian sanctification is, folks. This is not what Christian sanctification is. This is something very, very different. So let me kill the music. Without any further ado, here is Craig Groeschel, the name of the sermon, Weird in a God Way. Here we go. Well, it's so awesome to be with all of you guys today at all of our live churches, our network churches, those of you in our family around the world at Church Online. We are starting a brand new series today called Weird. And I just want to say I am thrilled to be back. Um, we just got back from a 12-day trip with our whole family to Australia. Uh, I was ministering there at uh, Hillsong Church at two different conferences and at the church, and Hillsong made it possible for our whole family to come. And I just- Okay, this is significant because Hillsong is uh, a heretical church down in Sydney, Australia. Totally caught up in the name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, word, faith, heresy. Uh, we've reviewed many of Brian Houston's sermons and uh, he is not, not a Christian pastor. He is a full-blown wolf in sheep's clothing. And his, um, his, um, his sheep outfit is getting very tattered. And it's not hard to spot the wolf underneath it. Just want to let you all know that. I just wanted to kind of help you be involved with our family, show you a few quick pictures uh, from our time together. So uh, here is my family, uh, kind of downtown Sydney. Here is... Uh, us out in front of the bridge. Here's another picture of our, uh, there's Buki <laughs> with a kangaroo. Good friends there. Uh, this next picture is uh, my boys at a rugby league game, which is now my new favorite sport. All of the rest are for wimps. And then there was uh, the first conference that we did. And uh, I just want you guys to know it's, uh, it's an honor to serve God really around the world and um, represent you, more importantly, represent Christ. And uh, so that's just a little bit of um, what we were doing the last couple of weeks. Brand new series today called Weird. And uh, I'll just be real honest with you. If I look back through the first portion, significant portion of my life, uh, I was driven by trying to be normal. I wouldn't have admitted this at the time. I never would have said my goal was to be normal. But if you looked at the way I lived, I was really striving to try to fit in to try to be like other people. If you would have called me 
weird, that would have been the, one of the biggest insults to me because I didn't want to be weird at all. And so I did what normal people did, lived how normal people lived, and I ended up where normal people end up, which was in the middle of a life that was really hurting. So for the first time... Wages of sin here. Now, notice we've, re- we've renamed everything. You know, sin is now n- just a normal life. And, of course, you know, we, as Christians, we're supposed to be weird. See, that's kind of the idea. It's a, it's a new mindset. You want to embrace weird and you want to reject normal. And normal leads to a life that's filled with pain and frustration and, and doesn't quite get you where you want to go. Hmm, Okay. I'm in my life, I really had the courage to do something that was weird because normal was hurting so much, and I decided... By the way, what's the major problem with all of this? Sin is always something that ends up hurting you. Now, this is absolutely true about sin. Sin messes up your life. Uh, It's not the way God intended for you to live, and uh, there's consequences to sinful behavior. But what's missing here? Um, well, let's see. We could talk about how sin hurts other people, or more importantly, since we're in a Christian church, or supposed to be, we should be talking about how sin is active rebellion against God, and how a holy and just God is offended by your rebellion against him, your breaking of his commandments. But I, I, I don't think we're going to hear much about commandments here, nor are we going to hear about God being offended, or are we going to hear about the just penalty that God gets to exact on sinful, rebellious human beings as a result of their rebellion against him, namely hell. So, you know, so as you're listening to this, this is, this is a pep talk, uh, you know, encouraging people to basically become good, better people, and the reason for it is so that, well, they don't continue hurting themselves. But what about the wrath of God? What about God's judgment? What about God's justice? What about hell? Those will all be, well, mysteriously missing. To pick up this book in college and to start to study what the Bible said. What I found uh, was that the teachings of Jesus were so weird, so different than the normal that I was used to, that it hooked me. There was like this spiritual force drawing me toward God, which I later found out was a spiritual force called the Holy Spirit. And I just said, God, if this is true, I want all of it. And I prayed to Jesus to change my life. And I went from being what the world would call very normal to overnight being what all my friends called me was very, very weird. From party freak to Jesus freak in a day. And everybody started making fun of me. I had no idea, though, just how much my new label of weird would actually play to my benefit when this girl came up to me and said, Groeschel, you used to be so cool. Now you're so weird. I don't understand it. But there's this girl that you should meet. She is weird like you. 
And she told me about Amy, who also came out of a wild lifestyle, was totally and completely transformed, and said, this girl is a freak for God, just like you, you should meet her. And uh, when, when this girl told me this, what you need to know, and what I'm about to tell you is weird, but I felt like, honestly, just hearing that, God showed me that I would end up marrying this girl. Now, I don't recommend you do what I did, but this is what I did. I was so convinced. I went and told all my teammates, all my fraternity brothers. I told everybody, I'm going to marry this girl. They're like, have you met her? Nope. Have you seen a picture of her? Nope. What are you talking about? I, I don't know. I just feel like I'm supposed to marry this girl. Weird, I know. But so for a couple of months, I prayed every day about it. And finally, I felt like I was supposed to call her. And so I did. And her answering machine picked up. Now, some of you are going to say, what is an answering machine, okay? That's very kin to what you would call voicemail. If you're under 30, you don't know what an answering machine is. But I left her a message, and uh, this was back in the day of Top Gun. How many of you remember the Top Gun movie? There's a a real important line where this gal says to this guy, "Uh, if you know it, all of our churches, you guys just help me out. It's fun. It's no fun without you. She screamed out, hey, you big stud, take me to... Bed, thank you, both of you, or lose me forever. And so I was now weird. That would have been my old line, but it wasn't anymore. So I left Amy this message. I said, um, Amy, hey, you Christian babe, take me to church or lose me forever. <laughs> Go ahead and laugh. You're supposed to laugh. It's supposed to be funny, and it's supposed to be weird. And then I said, um, and the verse for the day, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, 1 Corinthians 13, 13, and I hung up. God is my witness. That is 100% true. Amy can verify for it, telling you it's true, which implies that some of the rest of my stories may not be 100% true, but that one, my friends, is absolutely and completely true. So convinced was I that she was going to become my wife that I actually recorded that voicemail. Back then, you had to put a little sucky thing on your phone And I put the sucky thing on there, recorded it, and one year later, when we got married, I played that voicemail right before my bride walked down the aisle to become my wife. And we just decided we were going to be weird in the God kind of way. How many of you know there are some weird people that they're not weird in the right kind of way? How many of you know somebody who's weird in a bad way? Go ahead, raise your hand. Don't point to them, just raise your hand, okay? (laughs) How many know somebody who's weird in a good way? Somebody's weird in a good way. I'm not even talking about that. What I'm talking about is those who can be weird in a God kind of way. Here's what Jesus said. um, Some verses that captured my heart back in college, sobered me out of my drunken normalness. And if you were just going along a normal life today, I pray that God would capture your heart through the words of Jesus. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Jesus said, enter through the what kind of gate? Everybody help me out. He said, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And how many people enter through it? The Bible says, Many enter through it. Think about this. Broad and wide is the road and gate which... Okay, now notice, he's quoting Jesus out of context. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. And the great climactic punchline in the Sermon on the Mount is, O you of little faith, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is the imputed righteousness of Christ given to you, not your righteousness, his 
righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. So there's, I mean, the Sermon on the Mount is a fantastic place to preach Christ and the full message. But what he's doing here is he's basically saying, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many, and gate, and and for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. This is most certainly true. But the thing is, is that moralism will send you to hell as quickly as immorality. Self-righteousness is actually part of the wide highway that leads to hell. And so if you're going to talk about entering through the narrow gate, if you're going to preach it the way Christ preached it, if you're going to preach it the way the New Testament apostles preached it, you're going to have to talk about repentance and the forgiveness of sins and then the sanctified life that is a result, the therefore, of the gospel. Okay, you know the new heart that we've been given in Christ. The fact that our na- our our sinful natures have been buried with Christ in our baptism, things like that. You're going to have to talk about so that when you talk about good works and being quote weird, if you want to just go with the metaphor, that that all is stuff that flows from and is the consequence of the fruit. It's the fruit of our faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness. Of our sins. Remember, the Sermon on the Mount begins with, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit are those who've been crushed by the law of God, who realize they have nothing to offer God of their own righteousness, and instead, instead cling to and grasp on to Christ and his righteousness, his mercy, his forgiveness, because that's all that they've got. The only They have nothing except for Jesus. They have no righteousness to offer God of their own, none whatsoever. So if you're going to talk about entering by the narrow gate and then begin to preach about morals without repentance and the forgiveness of sins, oh boy, you're actually preaching the broad part of the broad road. The majority of the people travel. Unfortunately, in the crowd, that's where we often find comfort, saying, look at all the people doing what we're doing, going where we're going, living how we're living. We're normal. We must be okay because this is where the majority of the crowd is going. Unfortunately, though, Jesus said, many, the crowd, we could say the normal people are on the road that leads to destruction. Then he said this. He said, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And how many find it? Jesus said, only a few find it. If you're on the broad road, let me just say this just as soberly as I can. If your life looks like everybody else's life, if you're doing what everyone else is doing, if you are pretty normal, it could be that you're on the broad road that leads to destruction. Because when you leave... Okay, now notice. What's the indicator that you're on the broad road that leads to destruction? Your life is like everybody else's. But when you examine your life, Christian, in light of God's law, when you look at the Ten Commandments and you read those commandments, what picture comes back? I'm doing pretty good? Or... 
I still sin against God daily and much. I sin against him in thought, word, and deed by the things I do and by the things I don't do. See, the more you study God's word, I'm convinced the more you study God's law in particular, the less holy you feel and the more you realize you have no righteousness of your own. So this is this is this is frightening because Craig Rochelle is kind of looking at the law going, yeah, I can do that. And I can tell I'm not on the broad road that leads to destruction because well, you know, my life doesn't look like you know the, those party people or you know those other things. Yeah, but see the thing is is that partiers and people who, you know, are sleeping with their girlfriends and guys that are out there getting drunk every weekend, that's not the standard of holiness that we're to look at. If if I compare myself to, you know, my, you know, wantonly pagan neighbors, I look pretty good, you know. But the reality is, is that that's not the standard. The standard is, well, the Ten Commandments. And Christ tells us that we are to be perfect. Keep those commandments perfectly. That's the standard. So already we've got a problem. The normal road to get on the smaller one where the few are, the normal people think, you're weird, you're different, your life does not look the same. I want to invite you to follow the teachings of Jesus and lead a weird life. Because even if we take the Bible aside and just look at this practically, wouldn't you agree that normal is not working? Think about it. What is normal in your schedules today? Overwhelmed, rushed, stressed, panicked, never enough time for what's truly important because we're overwhelmed with the urgent and missing out on the quality? What is normal when it comes to money today? I mean, let's just be really honest. Normal is the pursuit of material things which never makes us happy. Normal is broke, right? Normal is debt, right? Normal is financial fear. Normal is fighting about money. Think about professional lives. What's normal today? So am I holy if I'm... If I have money in the bank and um, I'm out of debt, is that how I could tell if I'm on the narrow road that leads to life? Hey, working for a paycheck, doing something you don't really like just to get by. Normal is feeling like there's got to be something more, but you just can't quite find what it is. What is normal in relationships? Well, hopping from bed to bed to bed to bed with different people until you finally do get married, and then seven years into marriage, since things aren't getting uh, going along well, normal for more than half the people in our country today is divorce. So if I uh, stay married to my spouse my entire adult life, does that prove that I'm on the narrow road that leads to life? I, I know many pagans who've been, you know, who... They've been married happily for decades. Normal is not working. That's why I like to say kind of a key thought for this series, if you're taking notes, if you want what normal people have, do what normal people do. But if you want what few people have, do what few people do. Think about it. If you want a normal life, Live like normal people live. If though you want something better, 
If you really believe there is something different and better than the normal life where the majority of the people are traveling, you'll have to leave the broad road, get onto the narrow path where people will call you weird. So did you you catch that? So the narrow path is all about behavior. And if you want what few have, peace, joy, security, a sense of fulfillment. So you only get peace, joy, security, and a sense of fulfillment if you're out of debt. If you basically clean up your life and do the weird thing. This is all self-righteous moralism. An eternal destiny. If you want what few have, you're going to have to do, help me out, what? Few do. Think about this. The teachings of Jesus. Listen to the verbs. You want what few people have, you're going to have to do what few people do. This isn't exalting faith and trust in Christ. This is something different. Mega weird, right? Mega weird. Think about how weird... His teaching is compared to the world's normal. Normal says don't commit adultery. Jesus says you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say unto you, don't even look lustfully at a woman. Whoever's looked lustfully at a woman's already committed adultery in his heart. That's weird. No, that's convicting. Those words of Christ nail everybody right between the eyes. Jesus said, if you want to be first, you need to be last. If you're already last, then you can be first. That's weird. Jesus said, when you give, it'll be given to you. That's weird. Normal says, if you take, it'll be given to you. Jesus said, if someone hurts you, bless them. That's weird. Love them. Pray for them. That's weird. He said, if someone tags you on the cheek, Turn the other cheek. If someone wrongs you, he says, forgive them. Not just once, but 70 times, seven times. That is weird. The teachings of... Okay, now what's weird here is that he just mentioned forgiveness, and uh, he's not talking about the forgiveness we need from Christ for breaking all of these commandments and not doing these things. That's weird, don't you think? Especially in a Christian church. Jesus, the teachings of Scripture, lead us off of the normal broad path onto a narrow and different path. And if you want what normal people have, just keep on going the way of the flow of the world. But if you want what few have, you're going to have to do what few do and take this book seriously. And you can have something way better than normal. That is good. That's good preaching. If you just want to say that's good preaching anytime, you're welcome to. You don't have to sit there and be quiet. That is actually really good preaching. So, so 21 Just want to let you all know, if I thought this was good preaching, I would have played the different opening for the good, the bad, and the ugly. I don't think this is good preaching at all. This is nothing but rank, self-righteous moralism. Years ago, Amy and I, we met... And we decided we were not going to settle for normal. And honestly, that's the language that we used. We met. I'd never seen her. She'd never seen me. 
and we developed a friendship over the phone. It was really neat because uh, we hadn't seen each other, and we were praying together over the phone. The first time we actually met, um, someone told her I looked like Tom Cruise, and so when I opened the door, she had this big smile on her face, and then she saw me, and she went, oh. <laughs> but anyway, that we got over that, and, and uh, we prayed together, and uh, we just decided that we were not going to live like normal people lived. And we, we called it that. We just said, we're going to pursue God so much that he's going to lead us to a weird lifestyle. We're not going to have sex before we're married. And we didn't. That was weird. I mean, all our other friends were. It's normal to get it on. And we didn't until we were married. Then we made up for lost time. Uh, we, just, we, um, we said, we're not going to go into debt like normal people do. Everybody we know is stressed financially. We're just not going to do that. And so I'll just say very humbly, 20 years into our marriage now, um, we really do have a great marriage. We're not perfect, but we rarely fight. I often joke around about how Amy wants to make out all the time. I joke around, but I got to tell you, it's really pretty much true. I mean, it is. There's, there is a lot of romance in our home. Notice who he's preaching about. Himself. You know, self-righteousness falls into the category known as the theology of glory. This is self-glorification. That's what we're hearing from Craig Rochelle here. Self-glorification. You know, so, you know, at least he thinks that he's, uh, you know, he's using what he's pushing. So um, financially, we just decided we wouldn't be in debt. We've never had any kind of debt with the exception of a house. I mean, I mean, there is a sign of true holiness. Somebody who's not in debt. You know, Tiger Woods isn't in debt. Um, yeah, I just want to point that out. And never more than three years. We've always bought Donald. Well, no, Donald Trump has a lot of debt. Yeah, we could afford, and we've been totally debt free for the the vast majority um, of our marriage. Uh, we took scripture seriously when it said children are a blessing from God, and we had six of them, uh, which makes us weird. I don't know if we're weird because we have six kids, or having six kids made us weird. But whatever it is, we we educate them weird, all sorts of uh, weird things. And I'm telling you, I'm so thankful. Because when I look at what is normal, I just say, normal is not working. So, to build a foundation... So, normal isn't working. That, so, yeah, you got to get off the normal thing because that doesn't work. And you got to do something that works, something pragmatic. Morals are pragmatically... Make your life pragmatically better. Okay. For this series, I want to give you two really simple thoughts. These are almost um, so obvious it's, it's hard to mention, but I want to go ahead and mention them. And this will build a foundation that we'll build on in the um, weeks to come as we talk about being weird. Uh, two thoughts. The first one, if you're taking notes, is weird people don't think like normal people think. Everybody help me out. Everybody say, weird people? Weird come people. on, network churches join in. Weird people, weird people. Don't, think don't think like normal people think. When you see something you want, don't go just copy what other people do. That's not wise. Don't say, oh, so we have to have six kids and homeschool our kids. No, 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 no. That's our weird, not your weird. Don't go copy what people do. What you want to do is you want to learn how people think. Uh, whenever pastors come in from around the world um, to kind of study what we're doing, it always insults me when they say, okay, so we have to do this many songs, and we have to buy this kind of video projector, and we have to put .TV by our name. Don't be that stupid, okay? 
I, just for the record, I don't even like .tv. Never have, never will. .com wasn't available at the time, so we bought .tv. And that's, just, that's the story behind the story. Don't copy what people do. Get in and learn how people think. Get inside of a leader's mind. Uh, find out what drives the person. Find out how they think, because weird people do not think like normal people think. Uh, here's what Scripture says, Romans 12, 2. Uh, do not live... Okay, did you notice what he's doing there? Romans 12, what, what, what was that? Romans 12, 2? Yeah, the, the, this is classic, classic Bible twist for those who do not understand the gospel and how it applies to Christians. Okay, remember, Romans chapter 12 is 12 chapters into the book of Romans. Paul spends an inordinate amount of time in the first 12 chapters of the book of Romans proclaiming salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ's work alone, telling and preaching the gospel 30 different ways since Sunday so that you don't mistake it before he ever really gets to it. Then how does this play out in your life? And Romans chapter 12 is the transition from the proclamation of the gospel to Christians and then how that, then where the rubber meets the road, the therefore of the gospel and how it plays out in your life, okay? But Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, in light of God's mercies. In light of God's mercy, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the sanctification section of the book of Romans begins by having you uh, once again remember it is your sanctification is in light of the cross. Your sanctification is in light of God's mercies. When somebody quotes to you Romans chapter 1 verse 2, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, they're forgetting that that's part of a thought. And that thought there regarding our Christian, Christian sanctification is that our sanctification is never divorced from or taken away from, but is hooked into our justification. And with that, let me read to you the important portion from Romans chapter 3, verse 9. What then... Are we Jews any better off? Well, no, not at all. We've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside, and together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Not even Craig Groeschel in his weirdness does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. 
They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, before I go forward, is Craig Groeschel preaching the righteousness and the obedience of faith? No. Is he teaching the fear of God? Not at all. He's watering down God's law and basically creating the false impression that Christianity is really super simple to achieve. I mean, you know, number one, just make sure you don't sleep with your girlfriend. And, uh, you know, number two, and if you do, you know, you just fix it. And number two, make sure you're out of debt, you know, that you don't live in debt and you know, and and that you know, you you have weird ideas. Maybe maybe Kazone is number four. I I don't know, but he's not preaching the fear of God. Verse nineteen. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be shut up or stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, not one human being will be justified, that is, declared righteous in God's sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. That's the purpose of the law, the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets, they bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. They are declared righteous by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So what then becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. get it? He's not preaching the he's not preaching the righteousness of faith. He's just preaching a watered down diluted American suburban middle class form of of some kind of righteousness that's just a little bit different and weird compared to the normal in our in our neighborhoods. But he's not preaching the fear of God and the obedience of faith, and the sanctification that flows as, a, as basically the fruit of our faith as we abide and look to our great God and Savior for the forgiveness of our sins and the life that, and the therefore that comes out as a result of that. We continue. Any longer the way what? Everybody, the way this world lives. Don't live like normal people. That's stupid. Let your way of thinking be completely changed. Then you'll be able to test what God wants for you, not what the crowd, not what everybody else, but what God wants for you. And you'll agree that what he wants is what? Everybody, what God wants is 
right. I love the way the message, which is kind of a devotional version, translates this. It says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Wouldn't you agree that so many people today just fit into culture without even thinking? The Bible says, instead, fix your attention on God, not on everybody else, but on God, and you'll be changed from the inside out. Weird people don't think like normal people think. That's why I've written the book called Weird, because normal isn't working. And I'm going to promote this book like I've never promoted one before. Uh, This book, as of this moment, if you're watching this later, it'll be somewhat dated, but as this moment, it's not available yet in even stores. Uh, We have special permission by our publishers to make it available to Life Church um, this week, and we've got this book marked half off, $20 cover. We've got it for you, $10. That includes your tax. I'm promoting this without reservation, 100%, because I believe it's time for you to get weird. You say, well, yeah, and you're going to get rich. Actually, um, Amy and I, just for the record, have donated all the royalties from this. We're donating every bit of it. I totally want you to get this out of the purest motivations. I really believe uh, God wants to make you weird. It's sold out at many of our Life Church locations already. We're going to do our best to get more next week. Uh, those of you at Church Online, or elsewhere, you can pick it up online at Barnes and Nobles or at Amazon, and they'll have it to you later this week. But I want you to get this book. It'll help change your thinking. Let me tell you what the book addresses, because we're going to address different stuff in this series. Everything we talk about in this series will be new, but let me tell you what the book addresses. The book Weird, it teaches you to think differently about five areas. It teaches you to think differently about your time, how you manage your time. It teaches you to think differently about money, very practical and life-changing. It teaches you to think differently about relationships, how you date, prepare for marriage. So time, money, relationships. Hmm. Time management. I I don't recall time management in the uh, Ten Commandments. Hmm marry and raise your kids. It, thinks you, it teaches you to think differently about sex because you have to admit that the world's value system when it comes to sex is totally and completely whacked. Uh, it teaches you to think differently about values, having kingdom values instead of worldly values. Why is this so important? Because the way you think determines the way you behave. The way you think determines the way you behave. Hmm, that sounds a lot like Rick Warren. The way you think is the way you behave. Hmm, is sin just merely thought deep? Is the reason why people sin because they suffer from stinking thinking? Or is the reason why they sin is because their human nature has been corrupted in the fall, and that by nature they are sinners subject to the wrath of God. You see, if, uh, if I take Craig Rochelle's theology seriously, I have to conclude that he believes that you are a sinner because you sin, which is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach that you are a sinner because you sin. Instead, the Bible teaches that the reason why you sin is because you are by nature a sinner. Cows moo. Dogs bark, cats meow, sinners sin. 
So if you think that sin is uh, bad behavior is just a result of bad thinking, then you do not correctly understand the depth and the magnitude of our sinful problem. As a result of it, the solution is you just need to learn how to think properly. But the biblical solution for your sin problem, because your sin problem is so deep, your very nature is corrupted, so that you are literally, literally a slave to sin, that you chase after sin the way a dog chases after a rabbit. You get what I'm saying here? See the difference? This is a completely biblically inept, not true definition of our sinful problem. As a result of it, the solution being weird, you know, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, just stop sinning and you'll stop being a sinner. It's ridiculous. That's like saying to a dog, stop barking and you'll no longer be a dog. You can be a human being. Or saying to a cow, just stop mooing and then you can be a human being and you won't be a cow anymore. What you think determines what you become. Just very practically, the way the world manages time today basically says, can I do something? Someone says, can you do something? And you say, can I? And you might say, yes. Then you become overwhelmed. Weird people will say, should I do this? Is this a good thing or a great thing? Because life is too crowded and people are letting good things crowd out the great things. And weird people will have the courage to say no over and over and over again to even the good things so they can say yes to the great things. Think about money in the way the world is today. What is normal? Broke. How do broke people think? Broke people think day to day. That's how they think. If they're not quite broke, how do they think? Week to week. If you're like most normal people where I live, most normal people think month to month. How are we going to get through this month? How do we manage this month? Let me tell you how wealthy people think. They think year to year, even more wealthy people, they think decade to decade. The wealthiest people I know as I get inside of their mind, they think generation to generation. If you want to be poor, think like poor people think. If you want to be wealthy and able to give more, learn how wealthy people think. If you want something different in your relationship. So is the reason why there's such rank poverty in all the third world nations is because they just haven't learned how to think like wealthy people? Is that the reason why there's so much poverty in Haiti? Because they they all suffer from poverty-like thinking where they think day-to-day rather than like the rich people do, generation-to-generation. Is that the problem? Don't do what normal people do. What's normal? Can I just call it what it is and be be, be blunt? Normal is sending your 15-year-old daughter on a car date with an 18-year-old hairy-legged guy that has precisely one thing on his mind. Normal is sleeping with half a dozen people, maybe a dozen, maybe far more, essentially doing married things on the front side of marriage, moving in together, pretending like you're married without ever actually having the holy covenant ceremony. And after you've pretended married, doing married things when things don't work out, what do you do? Well, you pretended to be married, so now you kind of practice divorce. You did all the married things. Now you kind of divorced, so it's no wonder when you finally do get married and things don't go well, what do you end up doing? You do what you've trained to do, which is what normal people do, and you just 
divorce and throw it in. If you want. Notice the completely shallow, shallow understanding of sin. You just need to you just need to think better. You need to think the right way, and then these problems will go away. What normal people have, do what normal people do. If you want what few people have, do what few do. It is time to get a little bit weird. Weird people don't think like normal people think. Second thought, if you're taking notes, write this down. Weird people don't live like normal people live. Everybody help me out just for fun. Everybody say, weird people don't live like normal people live. When you take Scripture seriously, let me say it again. When you take Scripture seriously and you pursue God, you will be different from this world. If you're not different, if you look like everybody else, act like everybody else, live like everybody else, I submit to you, you may not truly know the God of this Bible. Because the more you pursue him, the more different from this world you will be. Your values will change. What motivates you will change. And the way you live will change. Peter said this, 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. He said, dear friends, I urge you, and I love what he said, as aliens and strangers. In other words, this isn't even your home. This place is kind of weird to you. Why do people live according to this world? Can I point something out to you again? He's taking Peter, just like he took Paul in Romans out of context, and avoiding the gospel. First Peter, I think I read most of this the other day on the program, but let me just back up a little bit and we'll add a little bit of context because First Peter 2, hmm, um, Jesus is mentioned quite a bit, and um, Craig Rochelle here is gutted all of the Jesus part of Second Peter chapter two, and gone right to the application. But this is an application without Christ. Second Peter chapter two verse one: Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves live like stones that are built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Notice here that Peter says that our spiritual sacrifices are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, not apart from him. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I lay, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Notice all the emphasis here on Christ. 
Now, verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. Yeah, all of that is done through, in, and because of Christ, a faith that looks to, clings to, hangs on to, grasps, refuses to let go of Christ and his righteousness and his mercies. But here we got Craig Rochelle just quoting from Second Peter chapter 2 and totally avoiding and missing the entire point of this chapter, which is Christ. He said, as aliens and strangers in this world, I urge you to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. In other words, you know, if this world is your home, you might as well do whatever you want, whatever you feel like, because that's normal. But you, you're not going to be normal. Verse 12, he says, live such good lives among the pagans, among those who don't understand, amongst the non-believers. Live such good lives among them that though they accuse you of doing wrong, in other words, don't leave us. We're all on the normal path. You know, I, I'm beginning, becoming more and more convinced that the reason why these seeker-driven guys take these verses out of context the way they do is so that they don't have to read the portions of Scripture that keep focusing in on Christ. I'm convinced that God's Word read in context would wreck their theology. It would decimate it so they can't read it out loud in context and preach on it correctly, because if they did, it would show their religion for what it is, false self-righteousness. We continue. Where are you going? No, 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 this is better. That's stupid. You're being weird. Though they accuse you of doing wrong, in the end, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. When you seek the God of this Bible, he will lead you to a life that is very different. Care to talk about uh, what it means that God's going to come visit us? When is that going to take place? You have any clue as to what that means? In fact, I want to highlight for just a moment some of the great weird people from our church. So not preaching about Christ still. You know, Jesus has made an appearance in that you know, we had a couple of verses ripped out of context from him. Um, but now we're going to talk about the great weird people from LifeChurch.tv. Because I'm so proud to say this place is filled with some massively weird people, but not weird in the bad way, not even weird in the good way, but I'm talking about weird in the God kind of way. Here's some stories from Albany, New York, our life church, Albany. Uh, We've got a lady named Debbie Carius. Uh, who walked into the campus and uh, just in the middle of the week and said, I don't know anything about God at all. Is there a book called like God for Dummies? And the pastor said, I'm not sure if there is, but our church is kind of a God for Dummies, a church for dummies. So come on in. And, and she did. Uh, and she was so touched by God that she gave her life to Christ. At the very next baptism experience, uh, she showed up and check this out. She brought with her 19, count them, 19 of her non-Christian friends to come and watch her be baptized. 19. 
14 people she brought into the church to see her life change, and many of them have come to Christ. That is weird in the God kind of way. Let me so they, she was baptized in order to show her friends her life change. Yeah, I don't see any passages in the Bible that say that's the purpose of baptism. Let me tell you about Mike and Crystal Wilson uh, from Fort Worth, uh, Life Church Fort Worth. This couple actually lived in Chicago. They worshiped visiting some friends at the Fort Worth Life Church, and they were so moved by God, this crazy, fanatic, weird couple sold everything they had, got in their car, drove to Fort Worth with no jobs, no leads, just to be a part of what God was doing in that church. Now they're massively making a difference. God has opened up jobs for them. I'm telling you, that couple is weird in the God kind of way. Uh, Oklahoma City campus has Sky and Randy Ransom. This family looks like a pretty normal family, but let me tell you, there is nothing normal about them. God was speaking to them about their kazon, their vision, and they felt burdened. God was speaking to them about their what? Yeah, um, that's not a, that's not a true biblical teaching, by the way. God does not have a does God does not promise you a personal vision or kazon. That is just absolutely false doctrine by God to start a church, not apart from our church because this is their home, but on Sunday afternoons, they now have a church called Church Under the Bridge where they feed homeless people and minister the gospel and love of Jesus to over 100 people under the bridge every single week. Can you give it up for a couple that is weird in the God kind of way? this next guy, his name is Chance. Uh, he's 15 years old. I was out at Wellington, Florida, doing a vision night for our Life Church at Wellington campus. We were talking about giving to reach more people. It was his 15-year birthday. He had asked for money from everybody so he could buy the certain thing that he wanted to buy. He was so moved that this 15-year-old took every bit of his birthday money, gave it to God in the offering bucket. I'm telling you, when I was 15, there was nothing close to that good kind of weird me. That is weird in the God kind of way. I celebrate him. One more, uh, one more story. Uh, Heather Elise, uh, Heather Elise was abused as a child, um, fell in love with Life Church in South Tulsa, Oklahoma, moved from uh, California to be a part of the church and discovered a group of um, kids that were abused. Single lady, uh, God moved on Heather to actually... Now, I want to make something clear. These are all fine, good works. Absolutely fine, good works. And these are the types of things that Christ truly calls us to, to love and serve our neighbor. These are beautiful examples of loving and serving our neighbor. The problem is is that um, we could say the same thing about people in the Mormon church. We could say the same thing about people who attend Jehovah's Witnesses' kingdom halls. We could say the same thing about people who attend synagogues. We could say the same thing about people who are followers of Allah in Islam. You do understand that almsgiving is one of the primary pillars of Islam. That's what it is. They're commanded to give alms to the poor, to care for the poor. So we could say the same thing about every other religion out there. I could find examples. I could give you names and towns and places where people outside of Christianity are doing these exact same kinds of works and more. 
But remember Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Remember the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. He was able to point to all of his good works. I thank you that I am not like that sinner over there, that I tithe even down to a tenth of my spices. And yet Jesus said it was the tax collector, the one who couldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, the one who beat his breast and knew that he did not deserve God's mercy, but he said, Lord, propitiate me, a sinner. Have mercy on me. That, 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 you know, when we translate it into English, have mercy on me, it's propitiate. It's propitiate me. He's pointing in his own heart to the sacrifices on the altar in the temple. Lord, be merciful to me. Propitiate me through the blood. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said it was the tax collector who left the temple justified. When you preach the law without the gospel, you only preach self-righteousness and not the righteousness that is imputed to us by faith in Christ and the good works that automatically flow from that new creation created in us through the preaching of the gospel. Christians are described in Scripture as born again, regenerated, raised from the dead. There's a reason for that. Because in Christ we have a new we have a new nature that daily battles with our sinful nature. But here, I mean, all of these things that they are, you know, they're clapping and giving themselves a big slap on the back. Hebrews eleven six comes roaring back without faith. It is impossible to please God. Faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That's why Jesus told us to go and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in his name to all nations. Because as Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Not the self-righteous, but those who are broken and contrite and humbled and sorrow, have sorrow for their sin and fear God and his wrath, and his justice, and are comforted by the good news of the forgiveness of sins won by Christ. That is what is missing in this sermon. Adopt a child. I'm telling you, single lady. That's pretty weird. How many of you say, that's weird? Then God led her to adopt a second, then a third, then a fourth, then a fifth, then a sixth, then a seventh child. We're talking basketball team with two subs. This is... Heather with her seven adopted children and a picture taken recently from Haiti where she is today ministering to people in need in Haiti with her seven children. That, my friends, is weird in the God kind of way. I'm telling you, God wants to make you weird. 
He wants to take you out of normal and bring something that is totally different. But let me just encourage you. Don't, don't you dare copy someone else's weird. Don't do it. Also, we need to adopt seven kids. Also, we need to start a church. No, 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 no. That's somebody else's weird. If you start copying someone else's weird, then you're just going to be normal weird. And you don't want to be normal. God doesn't have a cookie-cutter weird. He, he has for you a custom weird that he wants to give specifically to you as you seek him. And I don't know what that would be for you. For us, it's like six kids, homeschool, generous type of weird. For you, it might be the kind of weird where you live beneath your means so you can help give big to your church or to fund orphanages around the world. I don't know. For you, it might be that you take a job that frees up your time so you can devote more time at home or mentor inner city kids. Uh, For you, it might be that God calls you to do something weird and leave a lucrative job to go at home, uh, be at home and pour into your kids for the next 15 years. Or God might call you to go back into the workplace because you can truly make a big difference there. God might call you to start some kind of a ministry. God might call you uh, to, you're coming out of a wild lifestyle and you're going to live with sexual purity. Um, Notice, um, don't you think the Ten Commandments give us some kind of a standard for, I mean, if we just go with this metaphor, weird. I mean, mean, that's how I read the Ten Commandments. I mean, but maybe the problem is is that that's so cookie cutter. But the reality is, is that the Ten Commandments tell us what a good work is. They tell us what it is God's will is for our life. This, you know, the Ten Commandments provide us with that sure and certain word as to what it is that God's will is for us. And it sounds so cookie cutter, doesn't it? You will have no other gods before me. You will not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, his wife, or manservant, or maidservant, or ox, or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Sounds kind of cookie cutter, doesn't it? But the thing is, is that rather than pointing us to God's standard of holiness, he's pointing everybody inward to subjectively try to find some kind of thing that God wants them to do. But God's word tells us what God wants us to do already. If he were to really properly apply the metaphor, he would be teaching the law here. But that's what he is doing, just a watered-down, seeker-friendly version of it. We continue. I know some people that are so weird that they said, I'm not going to kiss anybody again until my wedding day. That is really weird in this really cool sort of way. I don't know what it'll be for you. You you may uh, find that the doctor says something that this is really bad news for you and you need to prepare to die or for someone else. And you may have this weird kind of faith that says, no, I just believe that all things are possible. I'm going to seek God and believe for him to do something that others say is not possible. And you may just live by faith and not by sight. You, you may live with this deep sense of spiritual dr- It sounds like a light version of the uh, uh, word faith heresy, doesn't it? 
drive where you're doing things that don't make sense to anyone else. Why? Because you're not driven by what other people think. You are living only for an audience of one. You are living for a holy God. And when you do, I promise you, your life will not be normal. I invite you, I beg you, join me and other weird committed followers of Christ of leaving the normal road because you have to admit normal is not working. It's broke, it's overwhelmed, it's miserable, it's fear, it's shame, it's regret, and it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, it is a lo- it is all of that because using your metaphor and you know basically going with it, what you're describing is sin and the behavior that comes as a result of our sin. It's rebellion against God. It's refusing to do what God has told us so clearly to do in his word, but seeking after ourselves and our own way and rejecting God's God's commandments. And there are severe consequences, temporally and eternally. And notice the emphasis here is on the temporal, not on the eternal. That He's correctly pointing out the temporal consequences of our sin. Yeah, no no doubt about it. There are those. Yep, there are severe temporal consequences for our sin, but he hasn't mentioned yet once the eternal consequences of our sin. The passage he read in 2 Peter did talk about Christ, you know, Christ's visitation, coming visitation, a clear reference to his future coming in glory to judge the living and the dead, but nothing was really expounded upon there. Did you notice that? Yeah, so this is just a diluted form of self-righteous legalism uh, with a with a more easy-to-attain list. I mean, just get out of debt and stop sleeping with your girlfriend, manage your time properly, have some healthy relationships, and have some better values in life, you know. It can be full of peace and joy and purpose and momentum and, and a deep sense of fulfillment in knowing that your life is making an eternal difference. If you can allow me one more quick rant, I have to say, honestly, I'm sick of normal Christianity. I am sick of lukewarm. Here comes the slap. He's sick of normal Christianity. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you know those people who attend church and hear God's word and go and love and serve their neighbor and their vocation. But no, 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 we're, we're, we're going to seek the uh, the hidden things of God that are not in his word and and get that kazone kind of christianity going okay mediocre half-hearted go to church and not be any different i grew up in that stand up sit down go home it's like calisthenics at church stand up sit down stand up sit down and then leave and it's just this empty sense of risk nothing sacrifice nothing come to a church that meets my needs and makes me feel good. When I read scripture, Jesus said, if you... Yeah, go to a church, you know, where I'm fed the word of God and where Jesus Christ is placarded every Sunday for my sins, where, you know, we we read large sections of the word of God and every year we preach through the entire council of the word of God. What a bunch of selfish, lazy, fat Christians. And the only thing they do is, you know care for their babies and and get in their cars and drive to work every day and live in the cubicle dwellers you know rat maze and and <clears throat> that's what he's talking about but what is the will of god for your life some secret cazone 
Or is it that God has made you a mom and a dad or a daughter or a son or a student or, you know, an employee? We love and serve our neighbor in the vocation and the offices that God has put us in. So it is. you, you can go to all of the passages in Scripture that say it's God's will for you fathers to be good husbands to your wives, to not be overbearing on your children, but to love and serve them sacrificially in your office. Moms, it is God's will for you to change diapers, to clean snotty noses, to help with homework, and to be there for your husband and for your children. That is how God has you serve. That's not dead orthodoxy. It looks so mundane and everything, but you go to the scriptures, and the scriptures clearly teach that that's God's will for you. So here he's putting down the churches where people show up to be fed God's word, to hear from God, to receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ in the sacraments, and who after that go and love and serve their neighbor in the vocation and the offices that they've been put into. And that that apparently is dead orthodoxy. Huh. You want to find your life? You lose it. That's weird. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. You can go to church all day long. That's still, in, in our part of the world, that's normal to worship one day a week at church. That's normal. But friends, when worship for you becomes a seven day a week passion, that's when you become the God kind of weird. We're not talking about a one day a week, shallow, me-centered Christianity. We're talking about a wholehearted, full surrender to the God of this Bible that will take you off of the normal path and lead you onto one that the world will not understand, but God will empower and direct. You can settle for normal, or you can choose something better than normal. If you want what normal people have, baby, do what normal people do. If you want what few have, leave the normal path, and I invite you to a journey with the God kind of weird. Father, I pray that you would... So we're done. Any mention of the eternal consequences of sin? Just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Be be committed to being weird, you know? Just do things God's way, and you'll cease to be a sinner and become a saint that way. That's not the obedience of faith that we're called to in Scripture. That, that you just heard, pure, unadulterated self-righteousness. Not the righteousness that comes by faith and the good works that are produced in us by faith in Christ. A faith that focuses in, centers on, and abides in Jesus. That's a faith in yourself, a faith in your own good works, a faith in your own weirdness but not a faith in our crucified and risen Savior for the forgiveness of your sins. And there was not a single mention of the eternal consequences of our sin, just a passing, you know, kind of acknowledgement that there's temporal consequences to uh, living a sinful life, and that basically boils down to, in summary, your life isn't as good as it could be. Hmm. Weird, isn't it? Christless Christianity, a Christianity that teaches self-righteousness, yet when you read the scriptures, that's the very thing that Jesus condemns over and again. 
That's the very thing that the Apostle Paul railed against when he wrote the book of Galatians. Hmm. Interesting. It's weird. So what'd you think? I'd love to get your feedback if you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith. You could do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Till Monday, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins to save you from the wrath of God that is soon to be revealed. Amen. Amen.